Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you on this Sunday. I was really thankful for Mohari's testimony, just encouraging not only to see um, her walk with the Lord, but hear her share. And it was, it's exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning, is accountability, discipleship. I'm tempted just to have her come back up and share one more time and then just leave it there. But let's, uh, I know that a lot of her convictions, the way that she has lived her life seeking to pursue holiness is because of her trust in God's word. And we want to have the same trust, so we're going to do that today. Um, but like Andre mentioned, my name's Blake. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Hope, and it's a joy just to open God's Word together today. And I'm looking forward. I really enjoy talking about the topic of discipleship. We've all been really enjoying this series that we've been going through this winter, uh, just reflecting on different reasons why we love the local church. And our reason for today is that we love the local church is because it's where we are called to be involved in each other's lives as followers of Christ. So discipleship is one example of that accountability like Mojari talked about. And I, I believe that God's design for the local church, it's so unique, it's so wonderful, and his design for the church is central to our lives as believers. We can't talk about what it means to be followers of Christ without thinking about what that looks like in the context of the local church. In Second Peter chapter 1, Peter uh, is just amazed. He's amazed by God's plan and he says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And that is so evident in the local church and in the relationships that are formed there. So I'm thankful we've had the last uh, yeah, several weeks now to think about different aspects of God's design for the church. And each of these aspects contribute to our topic for today, which is that of discipleship. So preaching has a role to play in discipleship. Singing songs has a role to play in discipleship. Church membership and fellowship, all of these things contribute to the topic for today. Um, before we open God's Word, I want you to think for me for a minute about drinking tea. Now, it's a pretty cold morning, and I'm sure this is something that you, most of you do. Uh, as you, I know I drink quite a bit of tea in the winter. I don't drink as much in the summer, but during the winter I like a cup of tea. Or if you're not a tea drinker, I trust I'm not talking about something totally foreign, but you're at least familiar with the idea. But imagine you grew up your whole life, I don't know how old you are now, but imagine you grew up your whole life and no one had ever taught you how to make a cup of tea. So you had a box of tea sitting in your kitchen, sitting on the counter, but nobody in your family, nobody you lived with had ever explained to you how this worked and you never asked any of them. And you saw them sitting around drinking tea, but you never asked them how they made it. So every once in a while, you'd go to the kitchen, you'd take this box of tea, you open it up, look inside, you take a, a bag of tea out, and you try to give it a go. So maybe you look at it and you think, huh, it's, you know, it's in the kitchen, maybe it's food. So you stick it in your mouth and you start chewing on it. And that might taste okay, depending on what kind of tea it is, but it's kind of gross after a while, and I don't think you'd enjoy it very much. So you throw it in the bin, and you're like, ah, I'll forget about it. 
And then maybe the next week you come back, you see the tea sitting there, you take that bag of tea out again, you think about it a little while, and you take the bag and you cut it open. You look in, oh, okay, there's something inside. Maybe it's something to eat. So you cut the tea bag open, you dump it in your mouth, and try to chew on it for a little bit. That's not going to be very good either. That's probably worse than sucking on it, honestly. So you, you spit it out, you wash your mouth, you're like, ah, I, don't, I just don't get this. I don't know what the purpose of this is. But people keep buying tea. There's always tea in your house. And then the next time you go in there, you think, okay, maybe it goes you know, with something. You don't eat it by yourself or drink it by itself. So you cut it open, you take the tea bag, you cut it open, you sprinkle it on your food, whatever you're having. Maybe you're on your pup. And you sprinkle this tea on your, on, your, on your food. I don't think that would taste very good, huh? It, wouldn't, it doesn't really add flavor. And the whole time you're trying this, your family is sitting there, they're sitting on the couch, and they're just drinking their rooibos or their five roses, and they're watching you go. Maybe they're laughing at you a little bit. And they're just watching you. It's a silly story, right? You can't imagine something like that happen. But in the same way, I think it's impossible uh, for us to understand someone who is involved in the local church but is not making disciples. So in the same way, it's impossible for us to imagine someone that doesn't know how to brew a cup of tea or explain it to someone. It's not hard to explain how to brew a cup of tea. I think it's equally unimaginable for us to claim to be a Christian but to have nothing to do with discipleship. So we'll unpack this a little bit more. But what is discipleship? When you think of the word discipleship, it's probably a word you've heard before. Surprisingly, it's not a word that's found in the Bible. The word discipleship is not found in the Bible. But it's a concept that fills the pages of Scripture from beginning to end. It's that at the heart of our identity as believers. And the simplest definition, the one that we can think about today, maybe the clearest, is that discipleship is helping others to follow Jesus. We'll fill out more of what this looks like, but isn't that simple? At its core, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, and discipleship is helping others to do the same, to follow Jesus. So joyfully walking in community with others, serving others, caring for them enough, you care for others enough, not just to think of how you can enjoy the Lord on your own, but you want to think about how you can encourage others in their faith and encourage others to follow Jesus, intentionally seeking to do good to others by pointing them to Jesus. This is really a joy. When you think about the idea of helping others to follow Jesus, there is nothing more important. This is so much more important than teaching someone how to brew a cup of tea. But in the same way that it would be sad, that family sitting there watching this guy chew on the tea bag, that'd be sad, that'd be weird, if your family didn't care enough to explain how to brew a cup of tea. But in the same way, it's just as sad if we don't seek to encourage others in their walk with the Lord, to help others follow Jesus. And also, you know, how sad would it be if you're so stubborn, you're this person going and cutting open this tea bag, and you see everybody else drinking tea, but you don't want to ask them for help. It's not a hard thing to go up to someone and say, hey, how do I make a cup of tea? But it's also sad if we live as Christians and refuse to ask others for help. If we see everyone around us drinking tea and enjoying it, but refuse to ask how they made it, just put our head down and keep trying to figure out on our own. We should be willing to ask others for help in following Jesus. Well, let's pray uh, together. And- Day as your people. God, thank you for the local church and your design for it. And God, we are so thankful today for the topic of discipleship. God, thank you that you have not left us here alone as believers, 
that we're not isolated as individual Christians trying to figure out how to follow you on our own, but we can do this in the community of believers, that each one of us has a role to play to encourage others and help others follow Jesus. God, we are dependent on you even today as we consider this topic. We know that we can only grow and be sanctified by your power. God, we're thankful for your word that you've given us, this clear instruction that gives us all that we need for life and godliness. Help us to look to you as our source of wisdom and strength. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see today and help us to behold the beauty of your design in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. So I was listening to a discussion last week as I was looking into this topic of discipleship. And one man said, he said, if you don't see helping others follow Jesus as your role, then I don't know what you mean by following Jesus. It would be inconceivable. It should be impossible for us to imagine being followers of Jesus while not helping others do the same. I think as we open God's word together, you'll see that this is true. And today I want to encourage each one of you to take seriously the task of discipleship, to remind you that God has called you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, to be engaged in the work of making disciples, both by being a disciple yourself and discipling others. And so don't jump ahead in your mind. I know if you're like me, uh, when I hear the introduction to a sermon, sometimes I'm already thinking of questions or objections. Uh, You might be thinking, oh man, I don't have time for another Bible study during the week. Or, I don't know, I'm not really interested in this whole discipleship thing. It sounds pretty serious. Is he going to ask me to meet with someone? Am I going to come up to you after the service and ask you to meet with someone that you don't know? But don't worry about these things. Let's think about this together. Why should we be involved in discipleship? And so like most of the sermons in the series, we've been looking at a few different passages because these are topical sermons. But I want you to be persuaded, not just by my argument or my authority as one of your pastors, but to be persuaded by God's word. So I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the passages together. We know that godly conviction is something that will only happen by the work of the Spirit. And that's our confidence today, that the word will not return void. So first, we'll look at why we should be involved in discipleship. Second, we'll think about who should be involved in discipleship. Is this something just for pastors? Is it just something we do on Sundays? Is it just for missionaries that go to a faraway place? Is this just something for adults? And then finally, we'll talk about the practicals. How? What what does discipleship look like? And there's a lot we can say about this, but we'll talk about that just briefly. So first, why should we be involved in discipleship? And as Christians, I wonder, do we sometimes see our faith as a one-time event? Is this something that you see it as? Where you repent and you believe, you punch your ticket for heaven, you stick it in your back pocket, and you just wait for Jesus to take you home. And sadly, I think this is the mentality that many people in churches have. They probably wouldn't say it that bluntly, but if they're honest, this is how they think about their walk with the Lord. That they're, they're thankful that God has saved them, they love his word, but he has little impact on their day-to-day life and relationships with others. And if that is you today, I want you to know there's so much more to being a follower of Jesus than this. God has a beautiful design for the local church, and he has a role for each one of you to play as his disciple. So let's turn in our Bibles uh, first to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read starting in verse 11. So Ephesians Chapter 4. We just read it a few weeks ago for our scripture reading as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. 
And a beautiful book, just packed full of truth. But Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Here we're going to think about our first reason. Why should we be involved in discipleship? Our first reason is because God's design for believers is to grow and mature in Christ. So let's read Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is looking ahead to the future. He's looking forward to a wonderful day that we're all anticipating when we attain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of God, and full maturity, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this will not reach its full completion until we are all with the Lord in glory. But he's not just painting a picture of this. He's not just looking forward to this day and saying, wow, won't this be great? But he's saying there's work to do. We have a part to play. Each believer, we can grow, we can mature, and we can be built up as the body of Christ. And he's writing this letter, the the book of Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. And he's telling them that they're given these leaders by God. There in verse 11, it speaks of the leaders that are given by God, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. That these leaders are given to the church so that they can be equipped for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. So notice there that the leaders are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then how are we to do this as the body of Christ? Look down in verse 15 there. It says, rather speaking the truth in love. So by speaking the truth in love, it results in growth so that the body of Christ grows and matures and is held together. By proclaiming truth to one another out of love, we are helping others follow Jesus. This is part of God's design for our sanctification. It's how we become more like Jesus and how the whole body is built up. And this isn't just a one-time event, but an ongoing process that will continue until we're with the Lord. The will of God is our sanctification and growth in Christ. So Christianity, it's not just a one-time event of conversion. It's not just punching that ticket and sticking in our back pocket, but we are called to a lifetime of helping others follow Jesus, growing and maturing in Christ, bearing fruit until he returns. This is a beautiful thing. Just if you're there in Ephesians chapter 4, flip over to chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has not only chosen us and saved us, but he has prepared good works for us to walk in. Before we even existed, before we had knowledge of God, he prepared these good works beforehand for us to walk in. And what a joy that we've been given this path to walk. This path has been appointed to us by the Lord for our joy, 
and for his glory and for the good of others. That's our first reason. We should make disciples because God's plan is for believers to grow and mature in Christ. And this happens through discipleship, through us speaking truth to one another in love. Another reason, a second reason why we as Christians should be involved in discipleship is because it's clearly commanded in Scripture. So if you thought of discipleship, when I mentioned it earlier, the idea of making disciples, probably the first passage that comes to mind is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And that's for good reason. So you can keep a finger in Ephesians or stick a, stick a pen in there. We're going to come back to it later. But flip over to Matthew chapter 28. And let's look at the Great Commission together. Matthew 28, verse 16 and 20, through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is a famous passage, one of the final times where Jesus is addressing the disciples. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here Jesus is commanding his followers. He's speaking to these disciples, and this applies to us as well. He's telling them that their mission, that their commission, is he's telling them to go and to make disciples of all nations. And so think what's happened between the time when Jesus spoke these words to these 11 disciples and now. So we have Jesus and these 11 disciples, and he's commanding them to go and to make disciples of all nations. He's saying, you've been my disciples. They've been following Jesus. He's been teaching them and instructing them. They've seen his life. They've heard his teaching. They've followed his example. Now he's telling them, go and do the same. And what did they do? Were they obedient? And I don't know if you remember, just a few weeks ago when we talked about membership, we looked at the book of Acts and the way the church grew. In Acts uh, 1.15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. So this small group of believers was gathered in a room in Jerusalem. So some of these may have been disciples that had been following Jesus since the time he gave the Great Commission. Some of them may have been people that the disciples themselves went and shared the gospel with. And what do these 120 people do? They are proclaiming truth to one another. They're fellowshipping together. They're appointing leaders. They are making disciples. They are living out the Great Commission. And then in Acts 2.41, it says, Peter the disciple of Jesus, he stands up and proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God, salvation through Christ's sacrifice. And then in Acts 2.41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's amazing, huh? What a miraculous work that the Lord has done. So we have the 11 disciples that Jesus is speaking to. Then we have those 120 that were gathered in Jerusalem to now 3,000 people being saved. So are they following Jesus' instruction? Are they making disciples? And then it continues there in that chapter. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this isn't anything extraordinary, out of the ordinary. They were simply walking in obedience as followers of Christ. They were receiving the apostles' instruction. And if you think about it, part of the apostles' teaching was probably repeating the Great Commission. They were saying, Jesus told us to go and make disciples, now you should do the same. They were instructing this new spirit-filled church to devote themselves to making disciples. And part of that must have been the regular sharing of the gospel with their friends and family and strangers as they're gathering together in homes and breaking bread together. And then from those very first weeks and months after Pentecost, people were being saved every day. Evangelism and making disciples was immediately part of their new life of following Jesus. And then this continues in the coming months. In Acts 4, the authorities become concerned. They arrest Peter and John, and in Acts 4.4, it says the number of the men, the number of the followers of Christ, these the disciples of Christ, came to about 5,000. And the gospel has continued to spread until this day. Faithful, faithful believers in the early church made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, until the gospel has reached every corner of the earth and has reached us today. We are the result of countless generations of followers of Jesus who recognize the command of Jesus to, make, to go and make disciples. And we are called to do the same. So one thing for us to consider today, just to think about as we look at this command, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, is that Jesus called his followers to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So when you think of making disciples, maybe baptism isn't the first thing that you think of. So when, I know there's some guys that have a Bible study, they meet together on Mondays or Tuesdays, Garnett and Sibasiso and Martin and some other guys, and they, they study God's word together. They're encouraging one another to follow Jesus. And I don't think that they're baptizing each other. We probably need to talk if you guys are. So what is Jesus commanding of us? And this is something that I think is important for us to recognize. The first step of discipleship, of helping others follow Jesus, has to be evangelism. So if you have someone, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, who has never heard the gospel, who is not a follower of Jesus, you can't help them follow Jesus. You can't encourage them, okay, this is what you know being a Christian looks like. You can't say, okay, you need to come and help lead worship, if they don't even know the basic elements of the gospel. The first step of, the, of evangelism of discipleship is evangelism. If we're going to help people follow Jesus or make disciples, we must first share of the good news of the gospel. We can see an example of this. Jesus himself was modeling this for his disciples in Mark chapter 8, uh, 34 through 36. It says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So Jesus is saying to them, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, 
You must deny yourself. So he's speaking of our sinful self, our unredeemed self. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. And what's required is a transformation, a putting to death of your old self and being made new. And how do we lose this old self? How do we put to death this old self? Through the good news of the gospel. That the way to be a follower of Christ is to put your hope, not in your own strength, not in your life, your own life, your own works, but in him. To lay it all down and put your hope and your trust in him, this son of man who would suffer and die. This second Adam, this perfect son of man who provided a way for man to be made right with God by paying the ultimate price. The same is true for you today. The first step of becoming a follower of Christ is recognizing your own ability to save yourself, seeing that there's nothing that you can do to earn your own salvation. That what's required is not living a righteous life, but laying your life down, repenting of your sin, and turning to him. Recognizing there's nothing that you can do to save yourself, but putting all your hope and trust in Christ. He comes to us in our sin, in our brokenness, like sheep without a shepherd, and he calls us to follow him. And that's a beautiful thing. In Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So you can come to Jesus even today. If you're hearing this today and you're saying, I don't know how to help others follow Jesus, I'm not following Jesus myself, I would encourage you to come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden. He will give you rest, rest for your soul. So we talked a few about a few reasons why we should be involved in the work of discipleship, because God's design is for us to grow as believers and help others to grow. And then second, because we are commanded to go and to make disciples. But now I want us to think about this, about who should make disciples. And as we think about this, I want you to recognize two different dangers. So think of a road, and there's two different ditches on either side of the road that we can fall into if we're not careful. So those two dangers, those two ditches on either side of the road, one is to be a lone ranger Christian. And then the second is to be just a complacent bystander. We'll talk about what those mean. But depending on your background or the context you grew up in, you might struggle with one of these more than the other. The first danger would be that of the lone ranger Christian. This would be someone who clearly sees the call to help others follow Jesus, but they attempt to do this on their own without recognizing God's design for discipleship to happen in and through the local church. Attempting to make disciples on their own without recognizing the ways that the church as a body helps us to follow Jesus. So think if you have a student here at Tux who's been saved their life has been radically transformed and the Lord has given them a burden to share the gospel, to share about this Jesus that they love. And they sh- start sharing the good news of the gospel with their classmates, with their friends, people in their res. And say one of their friends understands the gospel and comes to saving faith in Christ and they're so excited. And so they start seeking to disciple them, to help them to follow Jesus. So maybe these two friends meet up and they read through the gospel of John, they're praying together, They're sharing meals together, fellowshipping together, and encouraging one another. And all of these are wonderful things. But if this discipleship is happening totally separated from a local church, then they're missing out on so much. Let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can flip over there with me if you have your Bibles with you. 
1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to start in verse 4. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Then if we continue on, it goes to speak of the variety of gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. But notice what it speaks of in this passage. There's a variety of gifts, and not every gift is given to each person. But each gift is given not for the individual's good, but for the common good. So think of the student who shares the gospel with their classmate and is trying to help them to follow Jesus. They might be gifted in one area or a few areas, but there might be other areas, there will be other areas where they are weaker. And if they're attempting to do this on their own, apart from other believers, they're limited to the areas where they are gifted. And that's why it's so beautiful to see discipleship function in the context of the local church. Because here we have a body of believers that are gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Each one is gifted in a particular way. And if these students came and were part of a local church, they have so many different opportunities. And I've seen this happen. So these students might connect to the family in their gospel community group, a family from the church, and spend time with them. And especially for someone who's not grown up in a Christian home, they could see the way the father cares for and protects and leads his family. That's discipleship. They could also see and learn the way that, from the way that the mother cares for and instructs her children as a support and encouragement to her husband. That is discipleship as well. Also, these students could build relationships with other believers who are older than them, who have been faithfully walking with the Lord for many years. They can learn and be discipled by these other believers' faith in God's sovereignty and trust through many years and different trials and tribulations. And this is another way that we are discipled. Let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, let's skip down to verse 12 there. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So you can see here this picture of a body. The scripture speaks often of the church as the body of Christ. In the same way that each part of our body has a particular purpose, the same is true for each of us as believers. God has uniquely gifted each individual believer with particular gifts and abilities through the Holy Spirit. God has gifted each one of you. And these gifts that are given, they're demonstrations of Christ's work in you. And they are not just for your own benefit, but for the good of others, for the good of the local church, and to help others follow Jesus. 
And it's foolish. It's foolish for us to think that our gifts are of no good to others or that we have no need to learn or be discipled by others. We need to look to use our gifts to help others follow Jesus and also look for others who are gifted in different ways so that we can learn from them and imitate them as they walk with the Lord. Another thing we can notice just about the book of 1 Corinthians, like most of the other letters in the New Testament, they're not written to all believers everywhere, but they're written to believers in particular churches, in particular cities. This is because the principles for how we should live as followers of Christ, they make most sense when applied in the context of the local church. There's so many different one another passages in scripture that speaks of how believers should interact with each other. We are not called to live out the one another's in Scripture in the same way to every believer in the world. But God has a particular design for individual believers in the local church to be discipled and to make disciples. So that's the first danger on one side of the road. The first ditch to consider is the Lone Ranger Christian. And if this has described your attitude about following Jesus, about discipleship, then I would encourage you to consider, do you see the gift that the local church is? Do you recognize the need to be discipled and to live in community where you can help others follow Jesus? Each one of us as believers should seek to do this faithfully. The second danger, the ditch on the other side of the path, another ditch we could fall into, would be to be a complacent bystander. And so for this person, they might see the call in Scripture to make disciples. They've read the Great Commission before, but they don't feel the weight of it personally. So someone like this, if I talked to them after church today, if I said, you know, how are you involved in making disciples? They might answer and say something like, well, you know, our church, we added three new members last month. Or they might say, oh yeah, we have lots of visitors come every Sunday. They come to our church on Sunday. We had a visitor at our GC last week. It's so wonderful. Or they might say something like, well, yeah, our pastors, they preach the word of God. And I just love the teaching at Living Hope Church. Can you see what's missing? So I'm asking them personally how they are being obedient to God's command, following after God's design to equip others and to help others follow Jesus. But they're pointing to what we as the body do as a whole. They're content just to show up each Sunday, to visit with their friends, to go home, go to school or work the next day, and not really speak of Christ or their faith throughout the week. They might love the Lord and love others, but they don't feel any burden personally to be concerned about the spiritual growth of others or to share the good news of the gospel with someone who doesn't know him. And I think this type of understanding, being a complacent bystander, it's rooted in a misunderstanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You remember that simple definition we talked about, that discipleship is helping others follow Jesus. Each of us, as individuals, we're called by God. We're given gifts through the Holy Spirit, and we should be actively engaged in helping others follow Jesus. We saw that in 1 Corinthians, that the gifts of the Spirit, they're given to each individual believer for the common good. Every believer is uniquely gifted to serve other members of the church with the gifts that they have been given. Let's look back at Ephesians chapter 4. If you had a finger there, uh, you can flip back there or you can just open back to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 11 again. So in Ephesians 4, this passage we've been looking at earlier, 
the Apostle Paul, he marks out these different teaching gifts. He talks about apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. And what does he say about them? He says that they are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So yes, the pastors teach and train the saints, but they do this in order that they can minister to one another. So it's not that the pastors do all the work of ministry, or the members of the church are called to bring their friends to church so that the pastors can minister to them. No, the pastors are called, we'll talk about this more in a couple weeks, but the pastors, they're called to equip the saints. They're called to equip you for the work of ministry. And what is this work of ministry? The members, they're called to do what their, their pastors do. They're called to speak the truth in love. In verse 15, you can see that. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So that the whole body grows and is built up. So yes, pastors, elders, leaders in the church, they're called to teach and instruct, to make disciples, to help others follow Jesus. But this is a calling and a command for every follower of Christ to speak the truth in love, to make disciples, to help others follow Jesus so that the body of Christ grows and matures in him. It doesn't take someone who is a tea expert to teach someone how to brew a cup of tea. I think any of you could teach someone how to brew a cup of tea. In the same way, every believer should equip themselves and be able to help others to follow Jesus. There's so many other passages we could look at um, but just one, one other brief one to illustrate this, this picture, that every Christian is called to make disciples. In John chapter 15, uh, it's a familiar passage to many of us. I don't know if I have this one on the screen. Now, let's turn to John chapter 15. Okay, we'll read from verse 1, John 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. This whole chapter, it's just a beautiful passage. But the main point of it is for the need for believers to find their strength, find their satisfaction, their identity in Christ alone, to abide in in him. But I want you to notice that the vine dresser, as God the Father evaluates the vine, does he look to see whether the entire vine is bearing fruit? No. He's carefully looking at each individual branch. He's examining its fruit. He's casting out the branches that do not bear fruit or pruning the other branches so that they will bear more fruit. It's a guarantee that the vine will bear fruit. But each individual branch has a responsibility to do what it was created to do. And every believer, every follower of Christ is created by the Lord to bear good good fruit. And the same is true. As we consider the call to make disciples, every believer, every Christian should be bearing fruit, faithfully sharing the gospel, encouraging our fellow believers, and seeking to help others to follow Christ. And later on, if you look down John 15, look down in verse 6, and we see a warning. It says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is a sobering passage in reality. 
But if we are not abiding in Christ and if we're not bearing fruit, it may be the case that we are never truly connected to the vine. And so as painful as it may be today, maybe the Lord is pruning you today, convicting you of areas where you've not been faithful in the call to make disciples, not faithfully bearing fruit in this area and helping others follow Jesus. But still, if you are truly his, if you are abiding in Christ, you will bear fruit. There's other reasons why people might not be actively involved in making disciples. We don't have time to discuss all of them, but just to mention a few. One common one, I think, is age. So you might say, yes, you know, I know as believers we should make disciples, but I don't know if I'm ready. I'm still young. And in First Timothy chapter 4, uh, we see the Apostle Paul exhorting Timothy. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. This is a really a beautiful passage to think about in the context of discipleship. Because Paul is speaking in a context and a culture that's similar to ours, where maturity and age, being regarded as an elder in your family and in the community, it's what gave you authority. But he's saying, don't let that keep you from faithfulness in your youth. So for you young people, don't let that keep you from bearing fruit. And what he's calling them to do in this passage is really at the heart of discipleship, to be an example to others, whether young or old. And how do we do this? We do this by our actions, by our love for others, and by our faith in God, helping others to follow Jesus by our example. And all of this, it's not just to build our status in society or in the community or in the church, but it's for the glory of God. And then one last reason we'll mention why people might not feel personally, or you might not feel personally responsible to disciple, because we feel weak or we feel immature at times. And this is understandable, I think, for a new believer especially. But I want to encourage you today, as you seek to help others follow Jesus, your confidence is not in yourself, but it's in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5 and 6, it says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So our goal in making disciples, if you feel weak or see areas that you need to grow, your goal in making disciples is not to point towards yourself and say, look how great I am, I have it all figured out. But your goal in discipleship and encouraging others to follow Jesus is to point to Jesus or to say, follow me as I'm trying to follow Christ. Look to him, let's look at his example together. Let's follow him together. And that doesn't require a PhD in theology or decades of experience as a Christian, but a simple love for the Lord and a trust for Christ. That same passage in 2 Corinthians says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Even our weakness helps us to point to Christ. All the glory belongs to him. And as we help others follow Jesus through making disciples, the power to transform lives comes from him and from his word. There's so much more we could say about this, but God's design for us as individual believers is to be followers of Jesus who help others along in this journey, help others to follow Jesus. So we shouldn't live our whole lives uncertain of how to make a cup of tea or see others around us chewing on tea bags, uncertain of how to even do it. 
But we should see God's design for each member of the body of Christ to function, to use our gifts to encourage others, to instruct others, using our gifts to contribute to the health of the church. And we can do this through helping make disciples and being discipled ourselves. So then finally, I want to think briefly, just what does this look like? How do we make disciples? And you might have noticed up to this point, I've given very few practical examples, very few specifics, and part of that is intentional. So my goal for us today, I don't want to just say, okay, here's three steps. Here's what we all need to do to make disciples. Here is what faithful Christian discipleship looks like. I don't want you to hear me propose a model and say, okay, obedience to God's word means that you have to start a small group with two other people. You meet for two hours on Thursday mornings. You study the Bible in this way. That is discipleship. And that could be a good idea. I don't want to say that that's a bad idea. But the Lord has called each one of us as individuals. He saves each one of us, and he's helped us to become followers of Christ. We all have unique gifts and situations in life. We have different abilities and opportunities. And each of us has the opportunity to honor God by faithfully making disciples in the context that he placed us in. There's so much freedom in following Christ, so many opportunities to glorify him with our lives. So yes, each Christian, all of us, should be helping unbelievers see the goodness of Christ. We should be faithfully evangelizing. That is discipleship. That is making disciples. And yes, all of us should be helping others follow Christ more and more. That is discipleship. And we should be building relationships with others in the church, other Christians, with the intent of receiving encouragement and instruction and learning from their example. This is discipleship. The most important thing is for us to have a biblical conviction that we should be actively involved in making disciples and being discipled ourselves. But just a few thoughts on the practical side of things. One way I've heard it explained, discipleship is often described in two different ways. So imitation and instruction. So imitation, we grow. One way we grow, God has designed for us to grow, is by imitating godly people. And by being good examples to others as followers of Christ. And this is just throughout the whole New Testament. The Apostle Paul repeated this so many times. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's goal was to follow Christ faithfully as a disciple and then teach others to do the same by his life and his example. Also in Philippians 4, verse 9, it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, that's his example, practice these things, imitate me, and the God of peace will be with you. And this can be convicting to think about, but is that something that you could say to others? Could you honestly look at the person next to you or someone in your gospel community group and say, follow me as I follow Christ? That should be our goal. That should be our aim. He also tells Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, he talks about different things that Timothy has observed in his life. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings. As believers, we are created to be imitators, first of God and then of one another as followers of Jesus. So if you think about our tea example, you can easily learn how to make a cup of tea just by observing someone else and following their example. It doesn't require significant explanation. You could watch someone put a cup of tea, a bag of tea in a cup and pour some hot water on it 
and then you could do the same. We also know that helping others follow Jesus happens not just by imitation, but also by instruction. We're called not just to teach others by our example, but also through our speech. When we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, the elders are called to equip the saints to teach and instruct. And in the context of the local church, that's one way that every believer should be discipled, through the regular and faithful preaching of God's word. But as we're equipped through hearing truth in this way, we're also called to take the truth that we have received and share it with others. The truth of the gospel and scripture was given to us for instruction. God has communicated with us through words. And we're supposed to do the same as we share truth with others. In Ephesians 4.25 it says, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And as you read through the New Testament, you'll see so many examples of what discipleship looks like in different settings. In Titus 2.4, we see that older women are instructed to train younger women. That's one example of discipleship. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul trained Timothy to train others to train others. So for pastors and leaders in the church, your goal should be to equip faithful leaders who will disciple others in the context of the local church. Throughout Scripture, parents are called to instruct and disciple and help their children follow Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 13, all Christians, they're to exhort each other every day to avoid sin and to stir each other up to love and good works. Accountability and encouragement, speaking truth to one another, these are things that are given by God to guard us from sin and encourage us towards holiness. So just a few questions for you to think about today. Do you see the clear call of Scripture and God's design for you to function this way as his followers? Do you see the need to be involved in discipleship? Do you see the need to help others follow Jesus? So you might think, is there someone that you have the opportunity to disciple right now? You know, you don't have to look far. Oftentimes the best discipleship relationships are ones that happen naturally. So who has the Lord placed in your life? So parents, those are the kids that are sitting with you now, or the kids that are over in crush. It could be someone in your GC that you built, built a relationship with, someone from your work. Maybe there's a classmate or a close friend that you've gotten to know. So I want you to think about that. What would it look like, not just to be a friend to this person, but to intentionally think of how you can help this person follow Jesus? So this might require reevaluating relationships that you have with people or praying for the Lord to make opportunities clear, but seeking to be faithful in the place that God has put us. And then second, I want you to think, who are you being discipled by? Who do you look to for counsel or encouragement or accountability? Who has the Lord placed in your life that you can learn from? Depending on the season of life that you're in, this might look different. One thing to think about is that when you're looking for someone to help you follow Jesus, they don't have to disciple you in every area of your life. That would be amazing, and it does happen at times. But as we talked about in the way that the Lord has gifted each member of the body in different ways, people can help you grow in particular areas. Maybe you're a new parent, and you get the opportunity to learn from a godly couple who's been faithfully parenting for many years. And they might not even have time to sit down with you regularly, or to meet with you, or to teach you. But you can learn just by being involved in their family, being a friend to them, being in community with them. Observe how they function, how they care for their kids. This might be messy at times, but this is a wonderful way to learn. You can learn through their faithfulness as parents. You can learn through their failures 
and the ways that they confess sin and ask for forgiveness, that's another way you can be discipled. Or if you're a recent graduate, say you just graduated from Tux, you're a new engineer, you could look to a faithful believer who's been working for 10, 15 years. You can meet with them for coffee, ask, talk to them, ask them, what does it look like to be faithful in the workplace? What does it look like to honor the Lord, to honor my boss, and to be faithful as an employee? There's so many different ways that we can learn and grow through relationships with others. And we have so many opportunities to encourage one another in their walk with the Lord. This won't always be easy. It might be messy, and that's okay. But God has designed us to help one another follow Jesus. And we're missing out if we don't take part in this. I'm really looking forward. I'll send some questions out this week for you to be thinking about. I'm looking forward to our time together in gospel community groups. We'll talk through so many of the practical dynamics and think together how we can faithfully help one another follow Jesus. And we do all of this by looking to Christ and depending on his strength. In the book of Colossians, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And we can have confidence knowing that it's him we are depending on, him we are looking to. And we know that God's purposes will not be stopped. Those who he has called, those who he has saved will come to him. And what a joy to play a small part in one another's lives, a small part in encouraging one another to follow Jesus and God's design for us to be sanctified until he returns. It does require a long-term perspective. And one quote I read this week from Mark Devery talked about the perspective that we have to have. I thought this was just a helpful reminder as we close. He said, The work of discipling, it occurs in the present. It's happening right now. But has its eyes set on the last day. It requires long-term thinking. It requires an investor's mentality, knowing that the return is eternal. And the investment happens through God's word. We must proclaim God's word is the seed that ultimately bears fruit, even if we don't see it in the short term. So sow this word now. Sow with your spouse and children. Sow with other members of the church. And trust that God's work does not return void. You will see the harvest later. Mature believers will be ready to receive Christ when he returns. That's our goal, and this is our aim. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have called us, that you have purchased us by the blood of your Son. God, we thank you for loving us and choosing us in eternity past. And Jesus, we thank you for purchasing us by your blood. God, help us to depend on you for our strength and trust in your finished work. As we seek to help others follow you, help us to do this out of joy and not, of, not out of obligation, counting it all joy to participate in making the work of making disciples. And God, remind us, help us to remind one another that Jesus, is, when he left, when he ascended to heaven, did not leave us alone, but he has given us the Holy Spirit as a helper to empower us to live in a way that pleases God. God, I pray for each one of us today that you would help us to examine our lives, our day-to-day lives. God, help us to see and to feel a burden to help others follow you. In the same way, help us not to be prideful. Help us not to think that we don't need others, but to see the way that you've gifted others and how we can learn and grow by, by being disciples of Jesus and by being discipled ourselves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.